Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. Building owner or manager in New York City? Smart Buildings NYC is your go-to guide to learn how to comply with the new codes mandated on all large buildings in New York City. Find out how the technology discussed on this episode can help your building rank higher by visiting www.smartbuildings.nyc. Well, it is bittersweet to be introducing the final episode of this first season of Buildings and Beyond. I want to thank you all for going on this journey of podcast development with us. Or if this is your first episode, definitely go back and listen to all of the others because we really had some great conversations this season. Today, we are venturing a little into the beyond by having a guest outside of the immediate SWA team. David Unger is the founding CEO of Sentient Buildings. SWA and Sentient have a strategic partnership that I think speaks to the way that we see the term smart buildings and what it really means to us. We don't think that adding more and more sensors to generate more and more data points in buildings is smart. Smart buildings live at the intersection of behavioral science, building science, and computer science. To put it a little more simply, smart buildings bring together building systems, technology, and people. And what better person to bring the technology piece to us at SWA and to those listening to Buildings and Beyond than David Unger? Dave founded an innovative web services company in the 90s and eventually moved to become chief technology officer of U.S. Energy Group. This transfer focused his technology expertise on improving the built environment, which he has fully solidified at Sentient Buildings. I'll let Dave introduce you to who Sentient is and what they do. So let's just dive right into the episode. So welcome, Dave, to the podcast. How's it going? Good. Good. Thanks for coming out to Norwalk, to our Norwalk office. No problem. Glad <laughs> to be here. So I uh, sort of introduced the topic a little bit in the intro, but um, I wanted to get started with your your take on what the term smart buildings means to you. So a smart building, to me, means a building that has a sense of awareness of its environment. Uh, a building that not only can sense what's going on, but can actually react to the environment in specific ways, whether that's human-controlled or that's fully automated at some level. Uh, but a smart building is a building that can actually react to its environment and control things and monitor and manage things in a way that um, aids in energy efficiency, aids in comfort, um, and also monitors and protects against major issues that could cause problems in a building. Um, so a smart building is really a, a sense of awareness that the building has of itself, not an alive building in a lot of ways, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a building that can react to its environment intelligently yeah. um, and do something. Great. I mean, we, we all are loving the, uh, the live uh, walls of, of the plant walls that are cleaning our air. So the idea of a live fully live building that's aware of itself sounds pretty good. Right. Uh, Swa's, Swa's position, I would say, in the smart buildings um, 
uh, or sort of in in the thought of what a smart building means is that it's tying together the the technology aspect that I think you talked about yeah. um, just now, and then also with the building systems and with the people uh, and tying these three things together. How how do you think that technology relates to building systems and people? Yeah, well, I mean, technology is really the glue um, mm-hmm. that basically can take a system and integrate that system with a communication network um, and then expose that network through some type of interface to a person, right? So the three pieces of, of a system in a smart building include those three things, really. You need a system that you're monitoring, controlling, or doing something with uh, that you can imbue with some level of intelligence. And then you have the technology, which includes the network. So whether that's a wireless communication network or a wired network or some way of getting data from point A to point B, um, and then back again from point B to point A, um, the network itself um, then can collect that data and expose that data in real time or near real time to an end user who can do something about it or you know, monitor the building or collect data on the building or analyze the data or do something to affect the performance and operations of the building either in real time or over time. Great. And the we talked a little bit, uh, or you talked a little bit in the beginning about um, smart buildings and uh, comfort and energy, what what else can we do kind of with this technology other than monitoring energy? Well, in the case of smart buildings, it goes well beyond just monitoring the energy systems in a building. I mean, we're talking about other systems, security systems, the elevators, the lighting, which does relate to energy. But there are many other systems that are in a building that are effectively smart and can be networked. And a real smart building brings all these systems together into a single um, in, into a single view, an integrated view of building operations. So you can see everything going on in a building, and the building can react. So, for example, if you have a card key access system where you can tell who's coming in and out of a building, then that affects your energy systems, right? Because then you know, okay, I need to bring this building up to temperature because I have occupants or my occupancy has gone down, so I could reduce that. So there's, there are a lot of things that you could do with a fully integrated system that includes much more than energy-based systems. And that's really what you have to drive when looking in, into this in a holistic way. Because the long-term view of this is, is all of the systems need to be integrated, not just the energy systems. Right, and that's great. And I think the context now of um, uh, ASHRAE 90.1 is requiring more monitoring mm-hmm. and control or uh, and control of systems. And we're also having, uh, we work with a lot of projects that do uh, enterprise green communities and they require water monitoring. Mm-hmm. And so um, pulling all these things together in one unified space sounds like really the best option. Right, yeah. So when you know, people talk about energy, you usually think about just um, electricity or gas or even in New York City, district steam, um, but in a lot of t- a lot of cases, it all you know you really need to look at water and the usage of water. It's it's a commodity. It's it's a it's a resource that you know we typically need to control and monitor and make sure we don't uh, use too much of it. So and it yeah, it can cost just as much. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Their water water sometimes could be just as big of an expense for a building owner than than the energy cost. Right, great. So all of this sounds good. I'm on board. We're going to have all of the buildings. Uh, I'll, you know, you can 
uh, outfit my home with all the smart sensors and it'll control myself and the refrigerator will walk to the store and buy my milk <laughs> for me. That sounds great. <laughs> right. But I know we have uh, probably some people that are not as on board as you and I. So um, Shrikant was on the podcast a few episodes ago and he mentioned... Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know that he said this word for word, but uh, that monitoring is okay, but control he's not so sure about. Uh, Audi came out with this commercial uh, that was a little anti-AI. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but we can link to it in the show notes. Uh, my mom refuses to drive her new Honda CRV because the lane assist is trying to tell her what to do. Right. So what, you know, you're talking a little bit less about smart homes and smart cars, but what are the top three concerns from building owners and uh, how do you address them? Well, I mean, the biggest concern from a building owner by implementing a smart building is they, you know, well, one, the biggest the biggest concern is how much is it going to cost me and is it going to, you know, deliver uh, some type of ROI in the, at the end of the day, or either it's going to deliver um, more, um, you know, more income by, you know, you know, allowing them to increase rent or decreasing energy costs. But, you know, the biggest, the biggest concern after that is, you know, I want to make sure this is actually used, right? Uh, the, the, you know, concern of people that get involved in smart buildings is I don't want to be overloaded by information. Um, because the tendency with a lot of the building management systems over the years has been to fire out hundreds and thousands upon thousands of alarms as you identify problems with a building. Well, you know, one person can only handle so much. And, you know, so you want to make sure that you're tailoring and designing your smarter system to uh, help people and augment, pe uh, augment people's lives in a way that's helpful, not that creates more work for them. So okay. that is a real goal in designing uh, smart buildings in a way that reduces people's workloads because that's what that's, that should be for. So that's a you, you, typical concern. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't really gotten the concern that I'm losing control, although, you know, from an operator standpoint, you know, they know their buildings better than anyone. So if you come in with a smart technology and say, hey, this is going to solve all your problems, it's going to be like a magic wand and the computer is going to do everything and you just have to sit behind your desk and, you know, throw your legs up and, um, you know, play solitaire. That, that's, <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, that's, you know, that's not really, you know, what it's designed for. I mean, you know, the, the real way to implement a smart building is to work with the operators, to work with the owners and to figure out what's that proper balance of, you know, too much information versus the right information. And then also working with the operators who know their buildings, you know, they know their buildings well, to let them know it even better, you know. So if they could get insight that they never had before, that they really feel they need, that's what you have to address in smart buildings. That's great. And I love that you pulled the people piece there in. And I also loved one thing you said, smarter buildings. And I think we're always talking about smart buildings as almost a destination, but thinking about smarter buildings as always, um, you know, always trying to be better. You, there's always another, uh, you know, if you set up the framework that you can then start to optimize one system at a time and you don't need to be overwhelmed with all the data and the sensors, you can start and focus on one thing and then add in others as you have one system under control in your building. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you, the point of going from smart to smarter is like the effect of learning. Yeah. Right. So if a building can actually learn, it bec it becomes smarter. So that's really in thinking about these things. Once you have a fully integrated system, right, where you have, 
you know, you could you could holistically integrate the security system, like I mentioned before, with the energy management systems and, and, and look at these things from those points of view. Then you could start learning about the behavior and patterns that happen in a building. Like when do tenants typically change the temperature in a space? How many people are typically in a room before they start getting uncomfortable? You know, things like that, you start learning the behavior and the building starts to, if the building could adjust and learn from those behaviors in a way that's not intrusive, (laughs) but, but, you know, really understand, you know, gets an understanding, if you will, of what's going on. That's the goal is how do you get there? And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a constant over the next, you know, I would even say 20 years to get to a place that where you have a fully uh, reactive building that can react to its environment. Right. And, and I want to dive in a little deeper to one of the things that you brought up, which is security. So mm-hmm. connecting with the security system, I know that I've heard um, a lot of concern from, from clients about separating, separating out the BMS should not touch the elevators, should not touch other things. They're worried about security concerns. I know there has been um, some situations in which BMS uh, building management systems have been hacked and uh, and elevators were controlled. How what's how do you speak to that? And how does um, you know maybe specifically for your service, but in generally uh, in in general as an industry? Yeah, I look. I mean, we're living in a dangerous world right now, right? I mean, security and you know, you know, whoever knew that to um, scare you all out there? Yeah, I will <laughs> scare everyone. But c- cybersecurity has become a major, major problem in this day and age where, you know, our infrastructure is exposed right now in ways that are scary, right? And so how do you protect against that? And, you know, unfortunately, the building management systems industry has notoriously been bad at protecting security. They, you know, there's been stories, you know, going back, you know, now four or five years, Target, you know, know, the Target breach was because of a building management system that was unprotected. Um, So there are are issues where... um, you know, the building owners and operators want that, you know, they don't want their building taken over by hackers and their elevators like all brought up to the top floor and a fire lit, lit in the bottom floor where, you know, suddenly their building's completely exposed and a very dangerous situation. Right. Um, so you have to really, as a, um, a smart building uh, vendor in this day and age, really think very carefully about how do you protect the building uh, security as if it were a bank, right? Because if you think about it, bank security is very strong t- today. You don't hear, you know, although it's been done, but, right. you know, you have to really protect the, the, the security systems those ways. And that's protecting the network, protecting the devices, um, you know, making sure that your integration um, to different systems has some protection on it so that you can't overstep your boundaries. And how do you create a system like that? You have to really think about it and, and um, you know, build those, those, um, intrude, you know, those security protocols into your, your network. Mm-hmm. Um, build that, it in from the beginning, kind of. Think about it from the very beginning. Every single communication point has to have some layer of protection or a deep layer of protection on it so it's not open to the outside world. You don't have any uh, security holes in the system. Um, how do you connect your system to the outside world, to the cloud or to other mobile devices? What are you exposing? How do you audit that? You know, most importantly is like if somebody does breach your system, how do you know it happened? Um, so you, you need all of these protections in place uh, to ensure real security in buildings. And, and then, you know, I think what should emerge over time are some real industry standards around this, just like it's happened in the, the health insurance industry with HIPAA. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there have been other you know, security initiatives on the banking side. So building automation systems really need to embrace these security standards and implement them system-wide. And then also they need to you know, work with companies that are experts in uh, breaching those systems so that you know where your holes are. Uh, because you don't know what you don't know unless you, you really do some thorough penetration testing is what it's called, um, to know that you can't break into the building and do some damage. Great. And so in, on your platform, are you, are you running these tests regularly or how does that roll out or is it? Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it comes down to, to cost, right? You know, and, and, you know, so sometimes, you know, I, I can't say that we're doing it every time because it really depends on how secure a building owner needs the network to be. And then also, you know, on, on a lot, in a lot of these cases, um, you know, the security, if you can manually override a system or if you have manual capability on the ground, so if somebody does try to do some damage right. to the building, like shut down the heating plant or do something like that, as long as you build some protection in there that you can cut this off from controlling, being controlled remotely, you know, you build those protections in, which are, you know, you know, probably the safest way to protect against real, you know, damage and problems that may occur from from a hack. Right. I love what you said there about, um, you know, if something happens, then we have this resolution, because I think that's the same way we think about building science in terms of creating the proper wall. We make sure if water gets in, well, then how will it get out of the wall? I think we have that same kind of alignment there. Right. If something happens, then what, what can we do? Right. Yeah. That's great. So let's, um, let's Go in a little, uh, get a little more specific. Uh, are there some case studies, some buildings that you've deployed some of your uh, technology in, and uh, you know, give us the overview of what what your technology means, <laughs> what the different aspects of it are, and then um, one, a couple, you know, examples of projects that you've been involved with. Okay, yeah. So, you know, our goal as sentient buildings is really mm-hmm. to deploy. Uh, wireless network infrastructure that is designed for Internet of Things or devices to communicate over. So our, our real objective is to, you know, deploy that infrastructure. How do you get a wireless network infrastructure into a building that will allow you to monitor and control points wherever you want to put them without having to worry about running additional infrastructure once the network's in? Right. Right? That's really the goal of what we're trying to accomplish as Sentient, so that we build a standards-compliant um, wireless device network that will allow building owners to expand and grow so that they can add control points, they can add monitoring points as needed as their needs change, right? Because their needs are never not always going to remain the same. Tenants change, you know, building ownership changes, equipment right. changes, things change, right? So how do you build, you know, how do you design a building network that can adopt to that, adapt to that change? And that's what we do, and that's that's our philosophy as, as, as a company, is we know that things are going to change. And not only that, if you're not standards compliant, you never want to lock your customer into a situation where they're locked into a single vendor. And, and a lot of um, a lot of building owners, you know, through some of the bigger vendors that that happened to over the years. You know, I'm not going to name names, but you know, <laughs> there there are a lot of big gorillas out there that you know lock their customers into you know uh, proprietary uh, building management systems. So our philosophy is: how do you get standards compliant, wireless uh, capable devices in a building? And so, when, and standards compliant. Let's let's dive in a little bit. What do you mean by that? Well, there there are uh, just like there's Wi-Fi, which right. is a standard in effect, right? 
Uh, Ethernet is a standard. You know, there are standard communication protocols so that, you know, anytime you buy a, a, a network communication card in your computer, you plug in an Ethernet cable and you're online. Great. Well, we have the same, you know, concept with when it comes to devices and buildings, that if you buy a thermostat and you put it in your building and you have a, this, you know, you it's a wireless um network in the building, you can install that thermostat wherever you want to put it, and it will communicate with the building network. Got it. It's not right? like, oh, I have ABC Company's wireless thermostat, so I need ABC Company's other module to then go to ABC Company's right, cloud. Right, right. You can select from a mul multitude of vendors that all comply with the standard uh, so that you can get 10 different or 15 different types of thermostats, 20 different types of sensors. You know, so you have variety and you could go to different manufacturers, you know, at any point. So you're not really locked in. Now, you know, Wi-Fi is a standard. I brought that up as a wireless standard. It's not a very good one when you're doing <laughs> device level building networks where um, power is a major concern in a lot of cases where, you know, how do you power the devices? Um, and, you know, you don't want to run 24 volt cable or get a transformer for every single device you want to put in a building. You need flexibility. So you want low power. Uh, wireless device-based networks that will give you a tremendous amount of flexibility to wherever you want to put your sensors and your, your, your devices. And also, you want to think about, well, I don't only want to get data from the device, I want to send data to the device. Mm -hmm. So you, you need networks that can do both, that can, can transmit and receive, um, and that way you, you have full control and you have full flexibility. So once that network's in, you have a real building that can become smarter, right? We talked about how do you make the building smarter? Well, there are you know, you can make the building smarter through making the, the software smarter and right. building in artificial intelligence. But you also make the building smarter by having a lot of flexibility to where you can put points. Because you don't know everything you want to measure uh, when you start a project and you find that out over time. So you need that flexibility so that you can reduce your cost. So that that's our just like, you know, in ter talking about our projects, that's where we start, right? Got it. Is, and then do I, so we want this flexibility, you you like to provide uh, these flexible pieces, so say I, I accidentally bought with the you know wrong guys a couple of years ago, we installed all these sensors, and they are telling me they can only communicate uh, you know amongst themselves, and I have to continue going to back to this vendor. Um, does that mean if I want to go with, with you, I have to rip out everything that I've already got installed in my building, or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if, if um, you know, it, well, a lot of times it means you have to put in another infrastructure. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so if you went with a vendor that was proprietary, and I'm not going to name names, but there are a lot <laughs> of them out there um, that are proprietary, and you put that in, and, you know, that's great. You now have to, if your thermostat network is based on this proprietary system, you're only buying thermostats from that company, and that's, that's it unless you want to put in a, a new network. Right, um, and if you put in the new network, then you have two different networks you have to maintain because you have to maintain the old thermostats and the new thermostats, and nobody wants to do that. So you want a network that you put in. It's a wireless network that can support multiple different types of thermostats so that one day you decide, you know what, I need some more features on my thermostat. I need to upgrade. I could, this is compatible with this standard. We use a few standards in Ocean mm -hmm. is a standard that we embrace. Um, there's also Zigbee. There's um, there's LoRa, which is now becoming a big standard out in the market. Um, so these are all different standards that, as a building owner, when you're evaluating technologies, you should be looking at what standards the devices that you're interested in getting support. Right. Um, so when so then relating that back to case studies, because you know I, right. I want to talk about some of the work that we've done um, in the area. 
Um, you know, we've, we've worked in, you know, primarily, primarily we work in um, multifamily residential. Uh, we also do a lot of work in commercial office buildings. Um, and then we've started to get involved in hospitality and in hotels. So those are really our three major areas where we're deploying our networks. Um, our networks can, you know, be anything from a very simple monitoring system uh, where we're monitoring points that are on a boiler plant or we're um, uh, monitoring meters so that we can pull in energy data uh, to an advanced system that we're controlling the central plant and we're controlling all of the terminal units in a building, bringing that in all into a central system and allowing uh, owners and operators to control those systems remotely and from their mobile devices. Right. Um, and I want to break it down a little bit because I know that you've, uh, we've talked a lot before, but about um, there's kind of three components really. There's sort of the, the device, the individual thermostats, temperature sensors, whatever it is. There's the the network, and then there's sending it to the cloud. Am I right in the in how I'm breaking that down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's you know the end what we, what we call the edge, right? Mm -hmm. you, you have edge devices. Oh yeah, that's a big that, big that, word these days. Yeah, right. Edge <laughs> devices, and then you know you've got this new term called edge analytics, which we can talk about. But but um, edge devices are you know at the edge of your network, right? They're in the tenant space. They're in. Uh, they might be in an apartment. They might be in an office space. They might be on a piece of equipment somewhere in a, in a boiler plant. Um, but those are those are your edge devices. And then you need a gateway of some kind to concentrate all that data so you can do your data collection and you can implement local control because you don't want to control from the cloud. You know that. You know what if you know something happens with your internet connection and you lose connectivity to your building. You want the control of that building to happen uh, continuously without network connectivity. It's something you really need to understand when you're looking at smart building systems, that there's nothing that is cloud-based that would impact the control of your building, right? Um, and then, you know, you have those, those cloud-connected controls, I'll call them, where you have them connected to the cloud, but they operate independently of the cloud. And then those cloud-connected controls can send data up to the cloud. Now, the cloud is a place of infinite computing resource, right? It's, it's where, you know, you can, um, you can do a lot of number crunching. You can, have, um, you can have a data warehouse where you can warehouse and store all your data, and then you could use that to make intelligent observations on the data and intelligence. Um, and um, so the, um, the, those are three components of a smart building. So cloud, you know, once you bring something to the cloud, now you could start integrating other data sets and evaluating what's going on in the building to the weather and, and um, right. you know, to other things that may be happening in the building, to an event calendar, right. to, uh, you know. Dive in a little bit more into right. optimization rather than just sort of alarm management. Right. You, and that's where you get into analytics and you get into this um, process of continuous commissioning or Great. Um, um, I like to throw in the commissioning word there. Yeah, and uh, right, exactly. <laughs> so that you have a, a way of analyzing the data for fault detection, for other problems, and then you could gain insight into long-term uh, performance issues with the building through your analytics and, and cloud-based systems. And then you know another advantage of the cloud is then you could start bringing in data from multiple sites and you could bring that into a central view and provide an executive level view to owners and other people who are involved in the building so that they can at a glance get real understanding of what's going on with all their building assets. 
Great. Okay, now our audience is saying you talked about case studies three times and you still are talking really general. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm let's get in. Yeah, <laughs> so let's get into one of those. Yeah, Pick. yeah. Okay. So um so we've implemented um uh, we we did a a project in the Bronx. Um the uh building is um uh, owned by Hudson Valley Property Group. It's uh Keith and Kelly. Um uh, Keith Good Keith name. Towers and Ke- I think it's Keith Plaza and Kelly Towers. Uh, on Southern Boulevard in the Bronx. And um, they have electric baseboard heaters. They had 1,500 electric baseboard heaters, and they had no monitoring, no control, no capability to see exactly what was going on with the heaters over the the heating season. And electric heat, as uh, you know, as uh, uh, an engineer, is very expensive. Right. Um, And Electric resistance heat. Electric resistance heat, not not (laughs) heat pumps. Um, so electric resistance heat is very expensive and they wanted to gain some operational control over that. The new management came in and they're like, you know, we don't want, you know, the heaters running nonstop during the heating season, people opening their windows while electric resistance heat is running. There's no worse condition as an owner driving by an electric heated building to see all your windows open, right? Right, During December. Right, so we uh, and they're paying for all of the right, electricity bills. Right, so we installed at every baseboard heater uh, controller that was on a wi- uh, it was a wireless mesh network. Uh, so every device, uh, every heater communicated with the next heater to form a mesh network. Got it. Uh, that all communicated to a central receiver. Um, we each each receiver can communicate to up to five hundred devices. So we had to split. You know, we had to have two receivers in the building. There were 1,000 in one building and 500 in another. Um, so that, uh, so what we enabled the owner to now to do is they could see every heater in their building. Uh, they can see the thermostats. We gave the tenants thermostats so that they could set their temperature. The, the owner could set the limit of those thermostats remotely so they, they can say, they can adjust the heat and say, you know, we're only going to provide 70, up to 74 degrees in all of our apartments so that they could limit uh, overheating. Um, but you know, more importantly, what we were able to do there is um, um, we were able to identify uh, problems like where tenants were you know, plugging in auxiliary heaters or opening their windows or putting their thermostat in, a, in the freezer. Um, you know, which is, which is an issue, which could happen. And, and um, so we were able to analyze data and use data analytics to say, we know that the heat has not been running. It's 30 degrees outside, so the temperature in your apartment should be dropping, yet it's going up. Right. Well, that means that some, some other heater's plugged in somewhere, right? Um, another, you know, example of the analytics that we're running there is, the, you know, the, the window's open. So the heat's been running nonstop constantly for six hours, and it hasn't gone up a degree. Right? right, so you know, you, in both cases, you have a problem that you can identify remotely with the system, and at the end, you know, at the end of every day, we produce a report, or you can log on online and get the report and just say, okay, these five apartments have this problem, this these five apartments have that problem, and then as a management, you can decide how you want to address it. Great. So we're going from fifteen hundred units or fifteen hundred heaters. I can't remember what you said. Fifteen hundred heaters. Fifteen hundred heaters yeah. to then down to the five heaters that are really solving right, the, right, causing exactly. problems. That are causing problems, and then you know you have a good measurement of your average building temperature. Um, and so what we're doing this year, it's a pro- project we're implementing on top of that system. By the way, we we saved year over year. Um, 23% uh, wow, over the prior great. year's heating season. And what, what was building management doing with the reports that you were giving them? Did you get any feedback on that? Yeah, we got, we got, we got feedback. I mean, it was, a, it was a process. I mean, you know, we learned a lot 
in working with the owners. Like we learned a lot not to give them too much data. Right. Like really pare it down and give them like what are the top five offenders. Don't give them all 50 of them. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so you learn, you learn through the process so that they can, you know, have a, a set of data that they can easily work with. Right. So, um, you know, that was a, a learning experience for us in the process and working with the owners. Um, and the other thing we um, determined by putting this project in place was we, um, we determined that, you know what, you can, you can actually control your demand in the building during heating season so that you could limit your demand uh, with some intelligence so that you can rotate heaters off that are closer to set point for short periods of time. And then so that way you don't have, you know, you, you can shed load by 20%. Right, so that you can do peak load shaving and manage your load a little better, and we're going to be implementing that this season. Wow, that's great! Yeah, that that's exciting. So that that was one project. We did another project in um, Astoria, Queens, also on the heating system side, um, and then I'll talk about a cooling system we did. Great, two cooling systems. Um, we um, in in this uh, this was a project that we worked in concert with Con Ed on as a R and D effort. Um, to control radiator valves, like at the valve level to actuate the valves. Great, uh, on steam radiators. On steam radiators, yeah. It was a one-pipe steam system. Um, and, um, you know, I think uh, SWA was involved this year. You, you, the SWA, right. we just did a orifice plate um, a replacement there as well. Great. Um, but you're controlling thermostatically the valves uh, in each apartment, in each room. Great. And so we had thermostats that were communicating wirelessly to the valves and also wirelessly to the building management system. We tie that into the boiler system so that all of the, the, um, all of the um, thermostats can report whether or not they were calling for heat. Right, so if we knew that way, it was, it was a good way of determining: Do we have demand? Is there a demand for heat right now? If all the radiators are closed and nothing's calling, we're shutting off the boiler. Great. Right, so um, it was just a, a better way to control the building um, there um, without impacting occupant comfort. Without a- impacting occupant comfort. However, that building needs to have uh, its risers insulated. Another mm. thing that we discovered in this process, it's great if you could turn off the, all the radiators, but then suddenly you're heating your building just through your riser piping. Right. Um, so um, it was a lesson hashtag learned. Hashtag whole building solutions. <laughs> yeah, hashtag whole building solutions. And that's why we got uh, Stephen Winter Associates involved You know, at this point. you know, Now, uh, hopefully this season, we're going to be all set. I, I, I still don't think they've... Um, Insulated all the risers. They're starting to make an effort to do that, but we're, we're making progress. Great. Um, and then um, just on, on the cooling side, uh, these, this is on commer- in the commercial uh, building world. Um, we've been working with Con Ed on their demand management program. Uh, so we did about three years ago uh, a project for Newmark, Knight Frank, uh, right in Times Square. Uh, they have a building that has um, uh, 20 package units, um, controlled, uh, they have a cooling tower that um, provided condenser water for half of the units. Half the units were air cooled, half the units were water cooled. Um, and um, it had a cooling tower. Uh, so, what we did is we installed the system to do peak load shaving, same concept as we talking about on the heating side. But, you know, during the summer months from the peak period, from 1, 1 p.m. to 6 p.m., we analyzed the load of all of uh, the units. Uh, we had meters on every single air handler, and we had a meter on the cooling tower so that we knew the KW in real time load of all the systems. Okay. So we did a predictive load control system where we watched as we started to approach peak, uh, it started to shed. The system intelligently reacted and would shed 
the second stage of the compressors on a select group of uh, compressors and then would rotate so that they would rotate through these compressors so you wouldn't hold them off for any length of time that would con uh, cause a noticeable comfort issue but you would do it just enough to get three to four kW per compressor out of the out of the peak so that you could shave that load in this case you know 50 to 75 kW. Okay, great. And yeah. did you look at all at, um, like, you know, in that context, we kind of have energy consumption versus um, maybe cycling of the, the compressors. Did you look at all at making sure, you know, you had minimum runtime on for the compressors and making sure that you have sort of, that you're, um, that you're not short cycling? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we would monitor the short cycling so that we're not, you know, t you know turning the units on and off constantly. Right. There'll be some delay times on the on-off cycles. Um, so yeah, we were intelligently looking at that and controlling that properly. And we were doing it uh, holistically as well. So that what you can also do with this system is, you know, you don't want to bang on all your compressors at the same time at 7 a.m. when everybody, you know, when all the air conditioners kick on at the same time. Right. You want to stage them. So you can you can build in intelligent staging of these units so that you don't have an, uh, a system where you get overloaded and you get a load spike and, you know, that causes uh, a peak demand issue. That's awesome. Well, I, I could talk for hours and hours about energy efficiency, but I like to kind of wrap it up with a question of if we invite you back on this podcast in five years, what are we going to be talking about then? Well, uh, in five years, we're going to be working in the field of artificial intelligence and, and um, the systems are going to start to self-optimize. We're going to have enough data. I mean, a lot of this comes down to how much data you're collecting and, okay. and how much you can interrogate and then learn from the data set. So, I, you know, in, in five years, our, my goal, at least, for the company and where we want to go is to build real, artif you know, artificially intelligent building management systems that can, um, can continuously optimize uh, the system and so that it doesn't necessarily need human intervention and uh, constant you know, watching. You right. Know, that, That's that, great. That'd be, that'd be the goal. Great. And then as a side gig, if you could work on my refrigerator that gets the milk from the store, that would be great. Yeah, I would be happy to. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. we'll, we'll get, we'll get the smart Samsung refrigerator working in your house. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming out and being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com slash podcast and check out the episode show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment. Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.